Yes, we've got discipline out of the way, at least for now. Um, you might have wondered why start with that. Well, to, to get it out of the way, for one. Um, but number two, it, it probably is um, one of the earlier things. Of course, it, it goes along with instruction. Um, but uh, certainly instruction um, grows throughout parenting years. Um, in, in early on, there's not, there's, you know, there's communication, there's a whole lot of love, uh, but, but maybe a whole, not a whole lot of teaching. So with this time, we're gonna, with this session, we're gonna talk about instruction and all that, that means. And this will feel a little bit like, um, I don't know, like a, a, a baseball throwing machine. Like just, it's just gonna, we're just gonna spit some things out or it's gonna feel a little bit like a blender uh, of different things. Uh, I, I don't have six tidy points for this one. Um, I just want us to maybe brainstorm together about um, the, the many different points of instruction that are needed uh, as, the, as we do what the Bible says of bringing them up. Here's Ephesians 6. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Or that well-known proverb, 22 verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Now, we'll come back to that last part of Proverbs 22.6 later on. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. You probably know or have heard maybe that Proverbs are, are not promises. They're not un, unbending rules. Um, they're principles that are generally true. And so that's the case with Proverbs 22.6 in that second half. Even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Um, some do not actually you know, fulfill that principle, but it is a principle still the same. Our, our time right now, though, is focused on the training up of a child. Train up a child in the way he should go. Now, psychologists in recent days, Christian psychologists, have gotten a hold of that verse and talked about the way he should go as his own personality. Train up a child in the way that's unique to him. Train up a child in the way, you know, if he's artsy, then f help him flourish with the artsy stuff. Um, but the way he should go, I mean, in Proverbs, that language is clearly moral. It's clearly God's way. Uh, so I don't buy that, even though, of course, as we've already established, each kid is unique. They have their own bents. We want to sort of be aware of, you know, Johnny likes math and Susie likes drawing. Um, but train up a child in the way he should go means that there's a way he should go. They're not born going that way. And so they need training in the way they should go. Ray Ortland, he says of this word training, he says the Hebrew word translated train up is related to an Arabic verb that was used of rubbing the palate of a newborn child with a mixture of dates to get the child to suck. It means to accustom a child to a taste and to motivate the child to take it in. So training up a child, you might think, oh, that's you know, like um, training for the you know, Olympics. Train up a child. Well, that's part of it, I suppose, but if Ray Ortland's correct, and he's got a PhD in Hebrew, he would know, um, then it means more than just that. It, it means training the senses, 
Not just the actions, not just developing the muscles, you could say, but training the senses and seeking by God's grace to create even desires. Remember that illustration of the two rows that are being plowed in our child's lives. Uh, Disobedience and obedience and honor. And we want one row to get more plows. We want it to go deeper. And so with that, um, I just realized I don't have a Bible up here with me. Does anyone have a Bible handy? <laughs> the preacher didn't bring his Bible. How about that? Thanks, Ryan. Stuff falls out. Sorry. That's all right. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to read a handful of verses from Proverbs 1 so that we begin to, to think of instruction um, in God's ways. Proverbs 1 lays out two paths. And this is laying out for us what what wisdom is and and what folly is. So listen, Proverbs 1, I'm going to read 23 verses here. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. What are they for? To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then the father, pleased with his son, hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us, and we will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice at the head of the noisy streets. She cries out at the entrance of the city gates. She speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you and I will make my words known to you. Here's what I want us to do if you have Proverbs 1 open before you. I want to make this some interaction here. I want you to speak out and I want... I want you to share with us what you observe wisdom to be according to Proverbs 1. It can be synonyms. It can be examples. It can be 
warnings. What do you see there in Proverbs 1? Listening. So wisdom is listening, right? And listening to the right people, right? Because uh, if sinners entice you, essentially, don't listen. So listening. Wisdom invites, yeah, it's almost like a gospel invitation, right? Wisdom invites, welcomes. What else? Understanding, yeah, that's indeed a synonym. As well as guidance and learning. I mean, really, verses 2 to to 6 are just a a collection of um, various synonyms for wisdom. I'm sorry? Fear. Fear, yeah. Fear of who? Fear the Lord. That's the beginning of knowledge, which probably doesn't mean like it's the you know, kindergarten and then you move on from it, but fear is the basis for, it's the foundation of all knowledge and wisdom, the fear of the Lord. How about the, the complications that come with foolishness? Right? The consequences that come. That's mentioned as well. Distraction? Destruction, yeah, indeed. How about the, the um, persistence of temptation? Right? So wisdom is... Um, Eyes wide open about the persistence of um, your friends, your wayward friends, um, enticing you to sin. Right? Lack of judgment? Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, that would be foolishness, not wisdom. So it, here, here we can just sort of, sort of compile it like this, that Wisdom is God's instruction in the good life, in going God's ways. Wisdom lays out with all clarity the trouble with an unwise path and the blessings that come with God's path. Um, So it, it, it tells us and pleads with us even here to flee temptation and to fear the Lord first and foremost in everything. Now let's do this. Feel free to flip open to any part of Proverbs, and we're just going to brainstorm again about um, themes. What are some recurring themes? Maybe, maybe you don't even need to look. Maybe if you are, uh, you know, you, you do one of the proverb chapters per day, uh, you might have Proverbs pretty well down, and you, you know the common themes that come up in Proverbs. What are they? Wisdom's the overarching one, and then now we're thinking of more specifics. Like I'll go first and say the tongue, words, right? They can be good, they can be bad, and there are so many Proverbs that deal with the tongue and its power and its, um, its potential to bless or to curse, that sort of thing. What else? Yeah, so work and laziness, right? 
So there's the, the ant that personifies hard work and discipline, and there's the sluggard that personifies laziness. Outward behavior versus the heart. Yep, indeed. So many Proverbs sort of say, you know, here's the external thing, but then here's the heart level thing. That's good. Trusting in the Lord, yeah, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Have you have that memorized? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Yep, that's good. What else? Temptation, Temptation. yep, we just saw that in Proverbs 1, but it's not limited to Proverbs 1. Temptation's spelled out. Relationships. Relationships is a big one. And uh, in conflict resolution would be part of that, wouldn't it? So here's now where we're going to start to think about, okay, what are we trying to teach our kids? When it comes to relationships, we're, we're trying to get them to navigate healthy relationships, which means peacemaking, uh, confronting when necessary, not taking offense, reconciling when that's needed. So you've got uh, two kids or more, they're siblings. This is no small part of your parenting, solving conflicts. Uh, there's a great little book, um, I think it's called Little Peacemakers, does that sound right? It's Peacemaking for Kids, essentially. Anyone have it? You can help me with the title? Well, there's, there's a title, it'll be in those notes that Clint sends you later on. Um, we'll get the title by then. What's that? Young Peacemakers, that's it. Very helpful book that helps our kids walk through steps of reconciliation when there's conflict, especially in the home. Um, we told our kids that um, you're, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we said, your sister is your closest neighbor. You must love her first and foremost. You must be reconciled to her first and foremost. We, we, we brainwashed our three daughters that they were best friends. They didn't always act like they were best friends, but we would say, you guys are best friends. Because we just didn't think it was gonna work for them to just, you know, not be. And uh, by God's grace, they've, they've been best friends. Um, I don't know how much of it is just, you know, it happening or because they like each other or, or, uh, or partly because we brainwashed them to think that. But, we wanted them to prioritize that relationship and work at it. Um, so keep in mind that while you might think sisters, brothers, man, it, them getting along, that, that's the hardest thing in your parenting. And if you, you know, could never have those conflicts, you, you'd, you'd take that life. If, if maybe, you know, if you could go back in time, maybe you would do one child. <laughs> But these are opportunities. Conflict is opportunity. It's opportunity for seeing our own sin. It's opportunity for um, seeking reconciliation. It's an opportunity to learn something about humility. It's, a, it's an opportunity to show love. It's an opportunity to live out the gospel, that small thing, that, that no small thing. So, so there's one example where Proverbs unpacks for us a theology of relationships and gives us some mechanisms for how to navigate those relationships in and out of conflict. 
It is worth our time. What, what else in Proverbs? That was a little tangent on purpose, but uh, let's see if we can get to some other topics that we find in Proverbs that I'll do tangents on, we could say. I'm sorry, louder. Yeah, okay, so it would be confronting those who would talk more than they would listen. That's good, yeah. There you go, yeah, yeah. Yeah, related to the tongue again, that'd be one of the ways in which the tongue is addressed or speech is addressed. Um, Self-promotion, yeah. Huge ones, right? So now that's an issue of um, teen years. So I've got a 15-year-old son, and I mean, this is just, we talk about this. We, you know, I, I remember the first time we started talking about it, and I wasn't comfortable having that talk, but, but I knew that we wanted to get ahead of it and, and not, you know, not talk about it until we had to talk about it because we found out about a big problem. Um, Proverbs leads us actually in, you know, shepherding, young men with their passions. So you gotta think about that. You gotta think about that husband and wife and, and decide how, how you'll talk about it, when you'll talk about it. Um, Proverbs helps. How about this, uh, emotions. So I think we've kinda talked about this with self-control. Proverbs deals with attitudes and emotions a whole lot. And one of the things it talks about with emotions that doesn't seem too common in our culture these days is um, that you should fight to control your emotions. So we tend to think of emotions as, I feel angry, I don't know why, I can't control it. I'm just angry right now, it's because of these external circumstances. They make me angry. Well, listen to some Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 16.32, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit is mightier than he who captures a city. Now that proverb tells us that it's hard to control your emotions, but it can be done, and when it's done, there is great reward. Proverbs 23, 19, listen to this. It says, listen, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Direct your heart in the way. So that's partly aspirations. That's the heart right there. That's partly your plans, right? That's partly your desires, and it's partly what we would call your your emotions, your affections. Direct your heart in the way that it should go. Proverbs 28, 16 He who trusts in his heart is a fool. And so we can get our kids, maybe teenage girls especially, to not trust their hearts, not trust their feelings. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps it under control. So that three-year-old, that four-year-old who does tantrums, Here's a verse that you just gotta keep coming back to. Here's a verse to memorize together, father and son, mother and daughter. A a fool gives full vent to his anger. We we don't give in to this. We know the temptation's real, but we, we fight against it. How about, um, 
Related to that would be helping our kids to begin to understand themselves. For you to help them understand themselves, you, you, you've got to be ahead of the game a little bit. You've got to understand them, understand how they work, understand their unique temptations, their unique inclinations, their unique desires that can be good or bad. You have to work at and grow at getting better at sort of drawing them out, drawing out their heart. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. A man's heart is like deep water. It's, uh, it, it's big, it's got a lot going on, it's uh, hard to navigate, it's hard to get to the bottom of it, um, but a man of understanding will work to draw it out. Or how about making decisions? Proverbs is loaded with making decisions. In, in some ways, that's sort of, if Proverbs is constantly giving us forks in the road, then behind that is essentially decision making. Good path, bad path, good path, bad path. Make decisions in these ways. And, and Proverbs is calling not on parents alone, um, to go down the right path, but then parents to their kids or sometimes directly addressing those kids themselves. So here's where this sort of connects to discipline, instruction and discipline together as the years go on. If there's, if there's effective early on instruction and discipline, it should lead to more decision-making on their own later on, and more freedoms later on. And so maybe do this if you're taking notes. Um, draw like a, draw a V, and then next to it, draw an upside-down V. And, and with this regular V, this upside-right V, um, you might want to put an, an F for freedom at the top and constraint, C, put a C at the bottom for constraint. So this is the way parenting should go. It's tight when you're two, when they're three. Things are tight, right? As they get older, as the right groove in the dirt is being plowed more and more, the more we trust them to stay in the groove, you could say, not perfectly, but, but more and more all the time, there's actually more freedom. You're allowing them to make more decisions. You, you maybe turn into a conversation instead of just a parental decision. So I don't know, what do you think? What, what's the right thing to do here? And then at the end, you, know, you knew where it needed to go, but it sort of felt like they made the decision. You know? Um, you know, my kids in their teen years, I don't have to tell them to go to bed. They just do. I mean, you know, they, they've, I don't know. That path has sort of been grooved, you could say. It's been plowed. And, um, but earlier on, yeah, of course. We had some TV to watch. So we've got to put the kids to bed for crying out loud. And, uh, you know, mom and dad need their time. Now, that's one funnel, you could say. Constraint early leads to more freedoms later on. That's good, healthy parenting. Unfortunately, there's the alternative possibility 
where everything's loose early on. And then teenage years come, mom and dad are terrified about what's going to happen, and they, they choke it. They, they feel the necessity to constrain. No, you can, where are you going? And I don't know, it just, it's not healthy. Now, you, you can't put the genie back in the bottle sometimes. You can't push, put the toothpaste back in the tube sometimes. And, and so if you have played really loose with constraint in their early years, um, I, I understand the instinct to try to just make it safe. Uh, but it, it won't fix what's been undone or left undone. So those of you in your later years of parenting, you say, we're the upside down V. Okay, so here's where conviction can come in. Here's where the gospel brings comfort, like we talked about. Here's where we can talk about what we would do differently if we could do it over again. What we will tell other parents who maybe are not as far along as we are, they can learn from your mistakes and benefit from them as well. Uh, and then you can just pray. You can pray about what's ahead. You can pray that the Lord would, would be merciful to cover your sins, not just in forgiveness before him, but, but even your mistakes with your kids. He, he, can, he can restore. He can do things that we can't do. Um, but for those of you early on in your parenting, just know you can always loosen it later on. Make it tight now, establish those patterns now um, so that there's this beautiful blossoming that takes place as they move from adolescence to double digits to, to tween years to teen years to late teen years. I, I now am in a season where I have two daughters in Kentucky. That's weird to me. I don't know where they are most of the time. I don't know what they're doing most of the time. I occasionally get on Find My Friends and, well, they're still alive. It's moving. That's, you know, I'll text. And a day later, I might get a response. You know, what were you doing? Oh, sorry, I forgot I was busy. Okay. Well, you know, we trust the Lord and we're thankful that, you know, there were some, some rows plowed in the hearts early on that we can, we can trust them uh, in a different state some 1,200 miles away. Of course, we need to teach them about God and his word. So here we're now under another sort of big category outside of Proverbs. We need to teach them about God and his word, not just the right way to go, not just the, the right kind of life to live, but we need to teach them about God and his word. Remember, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, God's ways, God's word. So here's where we need to teach them that scripture applies to all of life. We want them to be uh, Bible tethered in their lives, and that starts with mom and dad being Bible tethered in their lives. So asking, how does this apply to the Bible? And then you might not know off the top of your head, but you could look it up. You could find out. There's a great book called Proverbs for Parenting, which is really just a topical index of the Proverbs. So you look up, you know, hate, 
And then here are seven Proverbs actually written out for you in this book. It's very, very helpful. So parents should be looking for tools like that that help them handle the Bible and go looking in the Bible for the answers to this or that issue of life or this or that thing the Lord would want to teach us. So we, we, we look to the Bible, we spend time in the Bible, we, early on we, we read them the Bible. Uh, take advantage of those so many great tools that are out there these days like Bible storybooks, um, God's Big Picture, the ABCs, someone was telling me, um, Kevin DeYoung's book, which tells the Bible storyline, one alphabet letter at a time. Uh, those kinds of books are very, very helpful. And don't, don't replace real Bible reading, per se, or, or totally ignore that, but, but our kids need the Bible. I mean, there's the Bible on audio now. You know, the, the downside... Uh, the downsides to us having our, these amazing phones in our pockets all the time, those are many, but, but the plus is incredible. I mean, that you can hit play on a Bible app or even on a website for the Bible and, and just listen to the Bible as you drive. What a great opportunity that is. So take advantage of it. Get, get Bible in and around your kids as much as you can. It, Yes, listen to their music. Yes, have fun in the car. Um, but if that's all you do, and there's no Bible in, in your life, in, in your heart and in your speech, man, you, you, to, to say you're missing out is, is, is so, so far from actual reality. Think of it in terms of both the, the random and the routine. Uh, so Drew, in just a bit, is going to talk to us about the routine, the routine, um, the plan, the family worship, what we might call, but, but I'm going to talk to us just about the, the random times. So, so listen to this in Deuteronomy 6, and often we think of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 as sort of the hallmark passage on family worship, and it can be used for that. But it's actually not the routine kind of Bible intake. It's the random sort of Bible intake. It's Bible all through the day. So it says here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So morning to night, when you're coming, when you're going, as you have kids around you, Take advantage, give them the Bible, and demonstrate for them an interest in, a hunger for, and a love for the Bible. So if, um, if you don't really want to play the Bible audio in your car when you drive, still do it. But they're going to know eventually that you really don't want to. That whole thing of um, some things are easier caught than taught, 
So they're going to catch on to, to, what, to what burns in your heart, what you're pulled towards, what you like, what you love, and what, what makes you smile, what makes you glow. Listen to Psalm 145. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So picture the verbs. One generation is commending God's works to another generation and declaring his mighty acts. And then it says, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. So it starts with me. And and then they, the parents, shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and declare your greatness. They will pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. That's what we want for our kids. For, you know what we want for our kids? We want them to be the, those kind of parents. We're actually raising up future parents. And we want them to be parents one day who are filled with, who meditate upon, who are stirred by the word of God and the God of the Bible. And may it start with us, and may it start in our home, may it start in this year and not eventually. I don't know about you, but my failures in things like Bible and prayer with my kids, and and I failed. I, I haven't done what I should have done over the years. My failures are in part owing to the fact that I always thought that today is different than the next day. Like, this is unusual. It's, it's too hard. I mean, too much is going on today, right? And then today becomes every day. That's the norm. You always think tomorrow we're going to, you know what? Next week we'll really start doing X, Y, and Z. I hope next year we'll be this kind of Bible family. And then it's the next year. It's the next year. It's the next year. May it not be this year the same as last year. Just two more things I want to say about teaching our kids, just categorically, and then I'll turn it over to Drew, who will lead us in talking about family worship. And it's to teach them to prioritize the local church. So related to what we've just been talking about with Bible, that you need to give them Bible, you need to teach them Bible, you need to show them affection for the Bible and the God of the Bible. So the same is true with the local church. You need to commit to coming on Sundays. You need to talk about why that's important. And you need to show them that it's really a priority. That when Christ Church is meeting, we're there. If it's gonna be Sunday afternoon church or Billy's birthday party across the street, it's already on the calendar. We, we already committed to this. We, we committed to this in like such a major way that it isn't actually on our calendar. I don't know about you, but I don't have Sunday morning church. We meet Sunday morning. I don't have Sunday morning church on my calendar. Well, because it's a given, I'm not going to forget to go. And, and, and that's not just because I'm a pastor. Sports are, um, youth sports are an ongoing competition 
especially at a church like ours that meets on Sunday morning, you do have that, um, that benefit of a Sunday afternoon meeting where you can do all the sports you want on Sunday morning. And uh, at our church, that would mean a potential conflict, a decision. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Oh, but he's really talented. I'd encourage you to find an article. You can just Google it by Jim Hamilton, which is called Don't Play Travel Ball. Uh, my son played hockey. Um, he at times was on a, a travel team, and we just couldn't do tournaments out of state because they were through the whole weekend. Um, but I understand having a kid that was good enough to play travel hockey, I, I understand the temptation. And so, you know, you might have a kid who's really good at soccer. And you might consider additional opportunities for his soccer play. Also consider what it means for the church and what it might be teaching our kids when other things, and sometimes for some families, it's any other thing is a possible priority over the meeting of the local church. I just... I haven't seen that go well for kids who are raised in that kind of home. I really say that with just um, with heavy grief and, and sadness. So that's the one thing I wanted to say at the end. The other one is technology. We touched on it already, but I mean, we're living in unusual days with screens, and, and you've just got to be really thoughtful about it. Um, every parent who has kids that are old enough to play with a screen should have read by now a book or more books on how to navigate that thoughtfully and with godliness. Uh, so here's one suggestion. It's a book by Andy Crouch called The Tech Wise Family. So you got to get out ahead of this. If, if it's too far out ahead already, well, okay, you got to bring it back, but you got to, you got to calibrate this. You, you, have to, you have to take inventory on where things are with your kids and with their use of technology. And, and that relates to things like where they go on the internet and what they're seeing with their eyes and, and things like lust. But, but it doesn't just mean that. I mean, it means games. It means a focus, attention, those kind of things. Um, don't think that your kid's lack of focus and inability to keep attention on something that isn't a video game is unrelated to their spiritual health. They will not be good Bible readers. They will not have a stomach for listening to the Bible if if their whole world is Candy Crush or whatever, I don't know. I don't even know what the games are these days. So anyway, so with that, let me turn things over to Drew, and he's going to um, help us think through that specific thing of um, family worship, what that looks like and what it, what it means. By the way, Drew Hodge is our music minister at Desert Springs Church. Um, he's also the, um, the chaplain for the UNM football team. Uh, so yesterday, he was leading in a worship, or a funeral service, rather, um, for one of the players who committed suicide. Um, so I'm thankful for Drew and for his partnership uh, at, at our church and um, our years together, but also thankful for his assignment in recent days um, in ministering to the Lobo team. And thankful also for his example and his conviction and his consistency 
uh, with something like family worship. Thanks, brother. Yeah, thank you guys for having me today. Um, <clears throat> I've been convicted. I've been comforted. I've been challenged. I've heard Ryan say this stuff many times in private and in public. Uh, it's a reminder as, as a parent that we are always growing and always learning and always need to be reminded of these truths. Uh, so continue on. Keep on in your, in your work. I was uh, blessed to be brought up in a family that exercised uh, in the discipline of family worship. I believe that I came to understand and embrace the gospel through family worship. I learned to pray by hearing my parents pray and my older sister pray. And I learned to read God's word and understand it uh, primarily in a, in a large way through family worship. So I want to challenge you uh, today that family worship should be done and encourage you that it can be done. So one scripture to get us in the right frame of mind is 1 Timothy 4. It says, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I would argue that trying to have fam regular family worship with young kids is a bit of both of physical and spiritual exercise. So we're going to talk about uh, what that looks like in our family. So we, we, I'm going to just kind of elaborate on a lot of, and, and, and use the support for the foundation that Ryan's laid and what he's already said. But we want discipline in our homes, uh, not just for discipline's sake, not just to say that we have good kids and so that we're good parents, but we want discipline with direction. And that direction is godliness, is holiness. We have goals. Uh, it is Christ-likeness. I love Isaiah 61 that talks about cultivating oaks of righteousness. I think that's a beautiful image for what we want for our children. So a definition that's always helpful. What is family worship? It's certainly not worshiping our family or worshiping our kids. No, it's, a, it's worshiping God. So here's, here's a quick definition. A regular family gathering of reading, praying, and singing. Family worship is a regular family gathering of reading, praying, and singing. So we'll try to flesh out all of those things. Why? Why would we want to exercise and practice family worship? Well, I would simply say that God is worthy. He's worthy of our worship by our families in our homes. And it's also a great way, fathers, I'll be speaking to you directly uh, in a lot of these because I believe it's our responsibility to lead out in this. Um, how are you honoring Ephesians 6 in training your children in the love and discipline of the Lord? How does that actually happen in your home? I think that family worship is a great way for that to happen. I want to encourage you in that. I think it's also, as Ryan mentioned, a great venue for those gospel conversations that you want to have with your kids. So who is responsible? Fathers, I believe we, we carry the weight of this. this uh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't farm this out to our wives or to, to our kids to, to expect them to lead. Um, just as a, uh, God gave Abraham the command in Genesis 18 uh, to train up his children and keep the way of the Lord, the discipline of our kids is first and foremost our responsibility, uh, fathers and, and mothers as parents. Um, the church and pastors are part of it. They're a part of this equation, but parents, we're the most natural agents 
uh, for God to use in the spiritual formation and salvation of their kids. So when and where does this happen? So we talked about the why, the what, the why, the who. So where does it happen? I think um, Ryan already mentioned it can happen anywhere, just like Christian worship, uh, family worship is both, is both planned and pervasive. It is spontaneous and structured. So I wanna talk about a little bit about what Ryan just mentioned in the uh, spontaneous from Deuteronomy 6, how we honor that in our homes. Uh, we wanna make, we wanna make God, uh, we wanna make life God-centered. So much about our kids' lives when they are young is about them and about their needs. They are needy little things. And so it is difficult for us to try to force their gaze Godward in, in any and every circumstance. So I think every chance you can as a parent to make life about God, about his goodness and care and wisdom and, and uh, provision is an opportunity to take them out of the center of their little universes and put God there. So use Jesus' example of Matthew 6 to consider the lilies. We wanna, we wanna ask questions. Uh, the kids ask lots of questions. So use those questions to point them to God. What is God like? What does God say about this? What is God revealing about himself in this provision? Whatever their question may be about. Consider the mountain. We, we love living here in Albuquerque and we see the mountain. And we talk about that when we're, when we're driving around. Um, I'll talk about this in, in the structured time, but reclaim the dinner table. So much about our lives is, is just so uh, transient and we're just moving and in and out and we're parents passing in the, ships passing in the night. Reclaim that dinner table where you have a focused time to talk with your kids and to make, to make the conversation God-focused and, and even word-centered. Uh, for me, uh, I have five kids that are, that are 10 to three. Um, so for me, it's, it's difficult, uh, us as parents, to have focused one-on-one -on -one time with our kids. So we, we try to always utilize any trip Anytime we go anywhere, I'm taking a kid with me. If I gotta go to Lowe's, if I gotta go to, uh, to Walmart, if I gotta go get gas, I'm taking a kid, right? Even if they wanna go or not. I'm just taking a kid with me. I kidnap one of our kids. Um, I take them and we have just a, a short time of a focused conversation. So it'd be so much easier for me to just hop in the car and go to Lowe's than to, than to get my three-year-old strapped in his seat and then get him around Lowe's safely uh, and then back. But I have, I have uh, been, we've been intentional about that and the Lord has blessed that in, in these, uh, these conversations that we can have. Um, so that's just a word on, on kind of the spontaneous and the uh, pervasiveness of our, of our family worship. But I think all of that is fueled by the foundation of our structured times. So it's so much easier to have these, these uh, sprinkled conversations throughout our lives if we have some structure and some, uh, some planned times. So the scripture that I wanna point us to is from Joshua 22, uh, in verse 26. It says, therefore we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering, not for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we do perform the service of the Lord in the presence with, a, with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children, in the time to come, we have no portion in the Lord. So just grabbing that, that, that phrase, build an altar, and I think I got that from Don Whitney and his, his idea of uh, family worship. Um, how do you build an altar in your home? Uh, uh, a structure, a 
place, a time to where you focus on the Lord, where everything else shuts down and you focus together um, regularly. For us, I'll just give you an example of the Hodge home. For us, we have young kids still, so we have a pretty, pretty regimented uh, bedtime routine, so it's just work for us. But at seven o'clock, the house shuts down. So that means screens go away, toys go away, whatever happens ceases. We come together for Bible time. I just announced Bible time, and kids all know what that means, and we all come together. It's a chance for us to make God the center of our lives, uh, that he is the most important thing. So we simply read, we pray, and we sing. So I'll talk a little bit about each of those, um, just to give you some practical uh, tips on how to, how to approach even those three things with your kids. So first for reading, um, I echo Ryan's uh, encouragement for young kids to use storybook Bibles. Um, our three-year-old basically has that ABC Bible from Kevin D. Young memorized. He loves that book. And actually got Kevin D. Young to autograph it when he was here for Claris. So that, that's, yeah, that's his favorite book, which he's about destroyed. Um, and uh, loves it, but I think those are supplemental. So I'll talk about some things that I think are primary and some things that are supplemental resources. So like Ryan said, I would not replace the reading of God's word with just a storybook Bible, even for young children, even for your one-year-old. Read God's word. Um, and then for your, your older kids, as your kids age and they can respond, ask three questions about the reading of God's word. So I always prep my kids for this. I say, all right, kids, what is this? I'm about to read Psalms. I'm about to read. We went through the book of Hosea, which that offered a lot of fun conversations. We, uh, we're reading through 1 Corinthians right now. So before I read the chapter, I'll say, what is this chapter going to teach us about God? So what does it teach us about God? What does it teach us about ourselves? And then what does it teach us about Jesus? And so those three questions, and even when you're in the Old Testament, that third one is, is a, a wonderful way to start giving your kids some biblical theological instincts on how does this teach us about Jesus? What is our need and how does God answer that need in Jesus? So those three questions. And then we pray. So I like to pray. Uh, we typically pray at the end, but I'll go ahead and insert it here. But we'll pray about something we read in God's Word. Let God's word guide your thoughts as parents to teach your kids to pray God's word. So particularly if you're reading a psalm, just grab a phrase. We just read Psalm 8 last night. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I'm like, all right, kids, all of our prayers will start with, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then you can go from there. Just a helpful frame of mind to use God's word to pray. So we give those to our kids. I'll give them a theme to think about. We'll ask for a request. Um, we've talked to our kids about the, the acronym ACTS. Have you guys used that? Um, ACTS is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Just different prayer categories. So sometimes when we pray as a family, we'll only use one of those categories. Like no request, no thanksgiving, just adoration. We're just going to pray and talk about how big God is, how great God is, and we're not going to say anything else. And then other times it will be more thanksgiving, and other times there will be more pressing requests. And, and sometimes your kids will even surprise you with the requests that they'll come up with. Um, so you want to give them that opportunity. But just have, just have some focus there. We don't do all of this every night. So just to put you at ease, there's just um, it, meaning we, we read, we pray, we sing. But we don't, do, we don't do the full gamut of all the reading exercises, all the prayer exercises, and all the singing exercises. So for singing, 
which I'm sure you're hoping, me as a, as a music guy, I've just got all the answers here for you, um, for singing uh, with your kids if you're not a musical family. Um, we, we sing a cappella. I don't grab a guitar. I don't grab any instrument. We sing a cappella because I want it to be simple. I want it to just be our voices, and I want it to be reproducible. So if I don't have a guitar nearby, that's fine. We just sing a cappella. So we'll sing simple songs that our kids know. Kids know a lot of VBS songs. We sing a lot of hymns. And simply because our kids were younger, when we first started this, we didn't even get out hymn books because they couldn't read. So we would just simply sing the same verses of the same handful of hymns. And over the years, now doing this for over 10 years, we've developed a, a repertoire of hymns that our kids know. And the young kids don't know them as well, and they just kind of mumble the words along. But they learn them as you just keep singing the kind of the same repertoire of songs. And as your kids get older, you can introduce a hymn book, a song book, you can print out lyric sheets and, and, and work, work that together. But I want it to be, I want all of this to be simple and reproducible. Because as, as parents and as fathers, you're probably feeling this pressure like, I'm not a professional minister. I can't come up with this devotion every night. I've got a job. I've got other responsibilities. I can't come up with this, this intricate prayer exercise and I am not a musician, I'm not a singer. So you can't expect me to lead my kids in some, in some uh, amazing song. So to put you at ease, just, just know that you can do this. And in the, for the singing portion of it, your kids don't care how good a singer you are. Your little kids, they don't care, Dad. And I'm speaking to dads because, again, this is kind of on us to lead. Oftentimes we consider singing to be something for women and children. Uh, grown men don't just sing in our culture. It's not, it's not masculine. Um, so I reject that. So, so go ahead and sing with your kids. Sing poorly. Uh, G.K. Chesterton has a wonderful quote, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. So that's an encouragement to all of you to go do family worship and do it poorly and then keep getting better at it and keep growing. Um, yeah, a couple final words. Two, two things that, uh, one, one supplement to family worship and then one, I think, uh, implication of family worship. The supplement is uh, catechisms. So we love the New City Catechism. And there are many other catechisms out there that, that are good and right, and, and I'm sure Clint and Nathan and your other pastors could point you in the right direction. Do you guys use any New City stuff here? Have you ever promoted that? Um, no. No, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, totally. There's, there's really good resources out there. New City has, uh, has a great app that you can use that has a children mode, so it has shorter answers. And so you just go through. And the first, the first question for the, for the catechism, uh, New City Catechism, is what is our only hope in life and death? And the kid's answer is that we are not our own, but belong to God. And it's been a wonderful training tool, instructing tool, instructing our kids in doctrine about God, who is God, how many persons there are in God. Our kids are through the first, I don't know, 20-something questions. And my three-year-old can say most of them. And honestly, he can say some of them better than the other kids. Um, so it's not, about, it's not about an age thing. I, and even when he was younger, like as soon as he could speak, he could say, I'm not my own, but I belong to God. Like he could, he could do that. So... So start younger. We've realized with our five kids that we can, we can do these things of discipline and instruction younger and younger and younger. It isn't about, oh, they don't, they don't really understand. They're not really getting all of it. 
they get more than you think, and they get more than they can articulate back to you. So, so the catechisms are a great way, and we use those in both uh, supplementing our reading, praying, and singing in our family worship time. I'll throw out a few catechisms. But then also in our spontaneous, our Deuteronomy 6, walking by the way, I'll take biscuits, I call my three-year-old biscuits, I'll take biscuits to the store with me, and I'll ask him three or four catechisms as we're just walking around, and he'll just rattle them off. So it's just, it's always there. It's always a part of our conversation. So that's, yeah, supplement. And then huge implication for our family worship, and I'll close with this, is that family worship is how we prepare our kids for corporate worship. So again, to, to, to support what Ryan said about uh, teaching our kids to prioritize the local church, I believe that Christ Church is a, is a family-friendly church and that you have kids in your worships, your corporate gatherings, and that is good. We do that at Desert Springs, and we want to encourage that. Your young kids are not just going to learn to sit through a 40-minute sermon or an hour-and-a-half-long service, whatever it is, um, just, just on their own. They have to be trained to do that. So family worship, I believe, is, is a way of training them to engage with God's Word, that God's Word is worthy of their undivided attention. Um, so we do that throughout the week with our family worship, and then we bring our, bring our kids into the service. And then one way we even focus on that is every Saturday night, we read the passage for the upcoming uh, for that service the next day. Um, we'll sing a song or two. Um, I have inside information, so I'll sing, we'll sing a song or two that we will be singing the next day. And then, and then we pray. We pray specifically for the service, for the church gathering, every Saturday night. So our Sunday mornings begin on Saturday night for us in our home. So that, that takes practical uh, uh, fleshing out with laying out clothes and, and making sure we're, we're home at a decent hour on Saturday night. We don't typically go out on Saturday night. Um, but that's been a way that we've been able to help our kids anticipate the, the gathering of God's people. Um, so, so, so do that and, and be encouraged that, that your kids will, um, that they will grow in it. And, and yeah, Piper has another great resource called The Family Together in God's Presence, where he gives this stat that was just staggering to me, that we have 650 Sundays with our kids between the ages of four and 17. 650. That just doesn't sound like enough to me. So I want to use every single one of them uh, for, the, for the opportunity for the seeds of the gospel to be sown in my kids. Um, so, so using family worship to that end to get our kids there. And in closing, just to encourage you guys, uh, it's not a show, it's not a production. Keep it short, keep it simple. Ours is typically 15 minutes to 30 minutes, um, just depending on what we've got going on that day. Be flexible with the time and location. Again, dinner time. Find that altar, what it, what it could be for you. Breakfast time. We can all be together at breakfast. Dinner time. Uh, bedtime. Whatever it is, find that time. And keep it regular and consistent. Whatever that looks like for you, keep it regular and consistent. Don't let your flexibility lead to inconsistency. Let the flexibility lead to more consistency. So it is, it is your daily bread. But keep it simple. Keep it up. Um, fathers, we, we spend a lot of time trying to, trying to shape our kids into what we think is important. So where we spend our time, where we spend our emphasis, will show our kids what we think is important. So uh, I believe I read this on Twitter a while back. It says, asked, Dads, do you spend more time 
having your kids, uh, teaching your kids to keep their eye on the ball or on Jesus. Um, and I was c- convicted by that. So playing baseball is not bad. I love baseball. But where is our emphasis? Where is our priority? Kids are going to know that. Um, you're going to talk about season of life. You're going to think about busyness. We're all busy. I'm just going to, we can just recognize that all right now. We're Americans. That's what we do. We are busy. So something, just to again use the altar imagery, something may need to be sacrificed for the sake of that altar. And what, what is that going to be? Is it the actual family worship going to be sacrificed or something else? So that, I leave that up to you as families. And then we'll have, I'll have a lot of uh, tools and resources that I'll, I'll get to Clint to, to email out that, that will help with even the family worship, singing, you could pull out a playlist. I've got you know, some good scripture songs that we've used to, to sing with our kids uh, to get that to you. But leave you with this. Know that God does not approve of you based on the frequency and the, and the depth and quality of your family worship. He approves of us only because of his son uh, and what he did for us. So, so because of that, let us not miss a single opportunity to share the gospel with our kids. As J.C. Ryle wrote, to fill the water pots with water and to leave it to the Lord to turn the water to wine. So by his grace and for his glory, we can do that. Let me pray for us. God, you are worthy. You're worthy of our worship with our families, in our homes, with our youngest to our oldest children. So help us, Father, to do that for your glory, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.